and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, a podcast aimed at making your quilting life more fun and creative while connecting with quilters just like you. Join the staff of the magazines you love for a great episode filled with tips and tricks. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Happy spring! Spring is my favorite time to be outside. The flowers are starting to bloom, and the trees and grass turn beautiful greens, and the weather is just comfortable. It's a great time, actually, to sit outside with some handwork, just enjoying the weather and spending some time in nature. Now, hand sewing is my choice of handwork, but hand embroidery is something I'm really drawn to and would love to get into. So today we're exploring the basics for anyone who wants to get started with me. We also chat with Mary from the Quilting Season Quilt Shop in Saline, Michigan. And since I've already admitted I am not an expert at embroidery, I'm going to hand the mic over to Doris, the editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine, and also our handwork expert in the office, to dive into this topic for us. So take it away, Doris. Hi, this is Doris, editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine. I'm sure a lot of you, like me, have always been interested in crafts and have tried a lot of different crafts over the years. As a child of the 70s, I did paint by numbers, latch hook, embroidery, you name it. My mother taught me to cross-stitch, hand embroider, and hand quilt when I was young. Embroidery and cruel kits were readily available even at big box stores. I learned to embroider using Aunt Martha's hot iron transfers and flower sack towels. You know, those day-of-the-week towel designs, those little yellow packets of Aunt Martha's designs that were first sold in 1935 that you can still purchase today. I still love doing handwork. I want to give you some basics for jumping in to try hand embroidery. Learning to embroider is certainly not difficult and it's not a huge investment. It really is an inexpensive hobby. You only need a few simple supplies to get started, including fabric, embroidery floss, a hoop, needles, a marking pen or pencil, and a scissors. To start, choose a light colored quilting cotton or any fabric with a tight weave to support your stitches, such as linen. A flower sack towel is a great fabric to use for practice or for a beginner project. If using quilting cotton, a large scrap or a fat quarter is plenty to start with. A skein of embroidery floss has six strands wound or twisted together. You can separate them to use one or two strands for a finer, more finished look. An embroidery hoop is necessary to hold your fabric flat or taut. Some people don't use a hoop, but for a beginner, it's always a good idea. There are several styles and sizes of hoops available, but to get started, a six inch wooden hoop is sufficient. Embroidery needles include bigger eyes than hand sewing or applique needles to accommodate the thickness of embroidery floss. Any sharp needle with an eye large enough to thread embroidery floss through will work. However, if you're purchasing new needles, I recommend choosing a pack of sharp needles labeled for embroidery that include multiple sizes or lengths. Once you move past just practicing stitches and you want to try a design, you'll want to have a fine point permanent marking pen or water soluble pen to trace your design onto fabric. I use fine point micron pens. Um, it doesn't matter that it's permanent because my stitches will cover up the markings. 
And then you'll want a small scissors on hand to clip threads. Size doesn't matter as long as it cuts the floss cleanly so the ends don't fray. And then a few supplies that are useful but not necessary include a thimble to protect your fingertip as you push the needle through the cloth. This will kind of depend on the style of stitching that you end up developing and you'll know whether or not you need one. And a needle minder, which is typically a magnetic charm that attaches to the edge of your cloth to rest your needle on when you're not stitching. You can start by practicing the most basic stitches. The straight stitch is so basic you probably already know how to do it without learning it. It's simply short straight lines that can be used to make a star, leaves, or a flower blossom. A running stitch is basically a line of straight stitches with small spaces in between. The back stitch is a simple stitch that involves making short straight lines end to end. It is used in most embroidery projects to create the look of a solid line such as a stem or for lettering. You want to focus on making each stitch the same length for a nice clean look. There are a few more that I would call starter stitches such as the stem stitch, the blanket stitch, and satin stitch. But these are harder to explain without visuals. You can find detailed instructions for these and more stitches on allpeoplequilt.com. Once you've mastered the few basic stitches, you can learn more complex stitches such as French knots, lazy daisy, and fishbone stitches. Now to start stitching, you need a way to secure your thread on the back side. Generally speaking, if you can do this without a knot, your work will be much neater on the back. However, I recommend that a beginner use a small knot such as a quilter's knot at the end of your thread. Once you get the hang of making basic stitches, you can learn how to secure the end of your thread without using a knot. Basically, you will take your threaded needle to the back side of the fabric with your last stitch, then run the needle under the last few stitches on the back and clip your thread. If you're stitching a design or a pattern, you may be using the same color floss in different areas of your design. You can then travel along the lines of existing stitches on the back by weaving the thread in and out of the stitches. If your thread's a light color or close to the color of the cloth, you don't have to worry about the thread showing through the fabric on the front. If you only have a short distance to jump to the other part of the design, you can just run the floss along the back of the fabric and let it loose. But if it'll show through and you're unable to hide the thread in existing stitches, you'll want to secure the thread on the back, clip it, and then restart the thread again in the other part. To finish your design, if you're making a sampler or a project you want to keep and finish off, you may need to rinse or soak the cloth to remove any water-soluble markings or just to get the oils left behind from your hands. This can also help remove wrinkles. Gently soak it in cold water, then when you remove it from the water, gently press away excess water with a clean towel. Place the embroidery face down on a second clean folded towel and press with a dry iron. If you create a sampler you really like, you can turn it into a pin cushion or use a small embroidery hoop as a frame to display it on your wall. When you're ready to try something beyond practicing stitches, look up one of our simple designs on allpeoplequilt.com or even try one of those Aunt Martha's designs to make some tea towels or a set of pillowcases for a gift. Stitch designs can be framed, turned into a pillow, used as quilt blocks, or you can even hand embroider quilt labels. Check out our website for guided stitch diagrams, designs, and project ideas. 
Thanks so much, Doris. I took notes during this, so I'm feeling much more confident in diving into hand embroidery. Doris did mention some resources in her talk, so we will be sure to link to uh, how-tos for stitches, some projects featuring embroidery, and some more resources in our show notes. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we get back, we're chatting with the Quilting Season Quilt Shop. Welcome back. I'm giving the mic back to Doris for her chat with Mary from the Quilting Season Quilt Shop. Take it away, Doris. Hi, this is Doris Burnett, editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine, with another installment of Love Your Local Quilt Shop, where we feature the community connections and success stories of independent quilt shops. Today I'm talking with Mary Lindquist, owner of The Quilting Season in Saline, Michigan. Welcome, Mary. It's so nice to chat with you. It's so nice to have this opportunity to share some of the things that we're doing. Well, your shop does a lot of wonderful things, and I know you just celebrated um, 20 years in business in January, correct? That's correct, yes. Well, and it was, it was started by my two daughters who've now gone on to other things, but okay. mom has taken over, and it's just a marvelous thing to do. That's wonderful, because a lot of times it's the other way around, that the mother passes the business down to the daughter. Yes. So, um, that's kind of a fun story in itself. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you were able to welcome um, customers into the, your store to celebrate your anniversary after the year that we've had. Um, did you have to close down some time in 2020 due to yes, the pandemic? We certainly did. And then I'm an old nurse, so I had to think about how we could safely uh, minister to our customers at the same time. And actually, we were at a very low point at that juncture, and I was not sure I could carry on. And actually, one of my customers asked me to do a GoFundMe drive, and I said, no, I cannot do that. But they did it for me, and that helped bridge us over that period of time. And so then we started to be open only for the store and not for um, any sewing or any kind of the things which are so important to women nowadays. Yeah, the community to be able to get mm -hmm. together. Um, I miss terribly being able to sew with my friends. And the last time that I had that opportunity was um, the end of February in 2020. So um, I'm just... I can't wait for my next retreat. <laughs> I can't wait because it's it is it's important to get together, and especially when you're doing um, sewing for charity and work like that, it's important to um, be able to sit with other people and discuss that and um, work on those things together. So, but you uh, know, our our ladies continue to do it and do all the things. Uh, they bring the fabric in to donate, and the folks who cut it up and fix the kits are busily doing that. And then they come back, and the, the preemie quilts, which are, they do, I believe, well over 1400 a year for wow. the hospitals close at hand. And those then, when they get to the hospital, are re-laundered so they're safe for the children okay and now we know that the, the bugs do not or the bat do the bat bite do not last on fabric 
So the pillowcases are made, washed, ironed, and put in bags by the person who made them, and then they're safe to go off to the folks sure. too. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, is it, was there anything you had to do? I mean, I know your people kept doing those things while they weren't able to come and sew and have to your sewing days in the store because you had to cancel those. But were there other things that you did to keep them engaged? Um, did you just use your newsletter as communication or um, what did you do to, for that? Well, we did use our, our newsletter and we had that big donation sale. I decided that we could do that in the... Um, in September because we we only allow them to bring in things for two weeks because you know quilters are hoarders <laughs> lots of things and so they're able to part with some of them and so uh, we allow them two weeks to bring them in and it actually takes up half of the classroom full of stuff and then there's the great sorting and it all goes outside on tables with much help. And folks are able to come and pick out what they want for a donation. Nothing is priced, we couldn't possibly do that. And then all teachers, our teachers are encouraged to come and take what they need because schools just don't have uh, the financial resources for right. them. And so this time when we did that, we had this lovely art teacher from Detroit, Cheryl, who came. And we realized, she realized, this was in September, and she was now teaching by Zoom in this inner city school. And she realized the children had nothing. They didn't have pencils, they didn't have paper, they were using advertisements or anything they could get their hands on. And so what a frustration for them. So I put it out in my newsletter to my wonderful folks. And within oh, a few weeks, very few, we had enough donations to make up 300 kits with all the art supplies in zippered bags so they could keep them and use them because this was important for the children because if they have things to do, that's just, they need that as much as sewers need to be able to sew. We yes, all yeah. need things. We all need that creative outlet, don't we? Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and so we've kept up a, this, this is a long story, but if you're willing, we'll, we'll share it. Uh, so then Cheryl said, you know, the children don't come to school in the winter because they don't have hats and, and gloves. And that just bothered me because we were still thinking they'd be back to school. So I was just sort of praying about it. And I got an email literally that Sunday from a woman nearby here who said, do you need yarn? And so I said, yes. And I told her what I dreamed that maybe we could knit and crochet and make these things. And before you could believe it, um, she came in that Monday, but she brought 15 banker's boxes full of yarn, all sorted, all beautiful. 
So then in my newsletter, out it goes. We have this. Can you, can you help us? And what was so amazing, and I didn't realize it at that time, but later on, that it was helping the quilt, the sewers as much as it was the children who would get them because they had such happy, good thoughts as they were knitting and crocheting and making these things. And we have given Cheryl over 500 and we have more that we are ready to start next year with. And we had them knitting from the university's group. College kids were knitting, uh, grandmas were knitting, everybody was everywhere doing it. And so it was just amazing to do that. Yeah, and so had she not come to your donation sale, you wouldn't have made that connection and even known their needs, is that correct? That's right, and now she's going to be teaching personal hygiene to, I think, about 75 sixth graders. And... You know, they have nothing. Right. They do not even have often washcloths. So I put this out, and I already have a wonderful woman who was in, you know, the, this went out on Wednesday. Today is Friday. And she's already brought in two bags, gorgeous bags. And she said, I'll make them for you out of towels. And then they can keep their things in a place that will work for them. And I am quite sure that we will have others who will donate all the things we need so that they can have, you know, literally things you don't think about, toothpaste, toothbrushes, soap, right. you know, lovely to have shampoo You're and all the of things that. things we take for granted, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh, that's, so that's this is the next thing we're doing. Plus, oh well, one more thing with them for Mother's Day, they take soup cans or um, those small vegetable can things, you know, the cans. Yeah, and they put fabric and decorate them for their moms. So guess what? Do we have fabric? Do we have things that have been donated with lace and all kinds of beautiful things? Yes. So all of that will go down for their Mother's Day thing. Oh, that's but great. Good, a good place to donate your scraps and smaller pieces that they'll have a lot of fun with, won't they? <laughs> oh, they will. We do lots with, we will take anything. I shouldn't say that, but any kind of And usually we find people who are anxious to do it or use it, or we find another place to take them. I had one of these darling 83-year-old women come in last week, and she is, through some organization, packing a barrel for Sierra Leone for the women there. And they make bags, but they need heavier fabric. Well, it's not quilting fabric. But people will bring it in and we'll get it to her and off it will go and do its work, you know. That's great. I love that your shop has become like the um, location in your town, the drop-off point for all of these community services. That's wonderful. It is. It is great fun. Well, besides all of this, that you just started all of these projects since last fall, I know that you had, um, you have several 
you mentioned the preemie quilts. Um, you have several uh, services like that that you've had going for some time. Um, how about you tell me a little bit about how that got started and what you've done um, with your local hospital? Well, it, we first started out with, and these, I must say, all have wonderful volunteers who head up these things and have done it for years. Kathy Boron has done our pillowcases um, and we are probably now, oh my word, over, I think over three, four, five thousand. I can't remember numbers, so that's, but uh, people bring in fabrics and she takes them and cuts all of it and puts pillowcase kits, actually her 4-H uh, granddaughters put together the kits and they're here, we have a shelf and people can just come in and get them, take them, they know what to do with them and bring them back. And the same with our preemie quilts and some of our preemie quilts are so cute and they'll take all kinds of pieces. They don't need the whole, uh, you know, the whole quilt. Here's a couple tops I just pulled. And they also have such an organization that someone can say, here, I love to do tops, but I don't want to quilt them. So here's a little boy one. And um, someone will take that and quilt it. And then we actually have others who put on bindings. So it's just amazing. And here's another little girl one. This one's flannel and it's all soft and cuddly. And these go over the um, isolates in the hospital. And I hear stories that families keep those years later because they mean so much to them. They do. I can tell you, my sister had two boys that um, both of them were in the NICU for a period of time. And so she received quilts that came from one of the local guilds um, in her area. And the boys are now preteens. And I know she still has those quilts. And um, they've been in their bedrooms just kind of as, you know, blankies all along. And um, yeah, they still have them. So that it does, it means a lot to the families because that's a tough time to go through. And it's just a little bit of happiness and to know other people are thinking about you. It is. And here are, um, we also were asked to make dolls. And these dolls came to us. I mean, that, that they wanted just plain dolls like this for the hospital to show so they could show the children what they were, what was going to happen to them. Oh. But I thought, what's a child in the hospital going to do with a naked doll? <laughs> I really can't see that there's a lot of value in this other than being able to give it a shot and put the faces on. They, we never put faces on them. That they do. So... I said to our folks, you know, what about this? And so it was very cute. Here's one, and notice this one has a mask. And they, as I say, have no faces because the children do that. And this one, this little girl, and they're dressed all different ways. And some have hats, some have sweaters, some have booties. I mean, there's just no end to the beauty of them. And what's really cute is here's a package. This person puts two outfits together with booties and hats, no less. 
And I mean, they are just phenomenal what they do with them. That's sweet. So it's not only serving the purpose that the hospital asked for, but you're giving the child a new toy and something to play around with and enjoy too. Yes. And that's just so important when they're there. Yeah. And then we have something else that we do with the hospital, which are our cute little turtles here. And these turtles were designed. My part of my experience in nursing was I was a hospice nurse. And in our particular agency, I took care of all the children who were dying. And so I knew the needs of the other children in the family. And so that's where our turtles come in because they find that the children, the other children in the family believe that the child still needs to play after they have died. And so often the children need to send things along with, uh, so that the child will have play things or things to remember. So the turtle is theirs and every turtle has a zipper pocket and you can put all kinds of things in it. But the turtle has a shell and the reason is the shell also has a zipper and you can keep memories. Now in my hospice, in my agency, we did a lot of work with, with children at bereavement. And one of their greatest needs was to have a memory box or something where they could put things to remember because they were often so worried that they would not be able to remember that person. Yeah, that is very sweet. So the turtle, so for um, people listening on our podcast, these turtles are, they're super cute. There are these fleece turtles that have a little heart on their chest and then the zipper on the back underneath their shell. And then there's a shell that um, fits around their tummy and that also has the zipper pocket. So the turtle gets buried then with, with yeah. the child um, that passes away and the shell is kept by the child or sibling that survives mm -hmm. to keep memories in. That is very sweet. That's a really unique program. I had never heard of that before. Um, well, is that it was, it was with from your experience? And from the child life specialist at the University of Michigan okay. hospitals. And actually his grandmother designed the turtle. That is so very it's just really a very special special thing that we that do. is special do you know if that's a program that has spread beyond your shop or is that just, just unique to you i don't know i know that that joel has talked about it at some meetings but i don't know whether it has moved beyond that but i it resonated so much with me because of my background oh sure because and of your work experience with happy to be able to provide the 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 sort of information and to be able for our folks to make these things oh gosh definitely it's that's important work to be doing so for sure hey it's lindsay so sorry to interrupt but we do have to take a quick ad break We'll be right back with Doris and Mary.
one of the things I've not been able to do right now is our history blocks of the month, which you can see behind me. This one was one behind you. It was called Wild Women, Wise Women, Wise About Rights. And I do the history part and take them back. All of this is to validate and encourage women to do and be all that they can be. And so that one, we went way back to the very beginning and to the surprise of many, they did not realize women were essentially owned and had no right <laughs> all the way in the 19th amendment still isn't totally passed. And essentially now, in many ways, women have gone back to the 30s to say, all right, how can I take this life of isolation and what can I do to be creative and to uh, move forward in, in the things that we do for ourselves? And as you mentioned, and I believe, um, we have to feed our own human spirits. And to do that, we need to be creative and to be able to make something and you look at it and you say, you know, that it is good and it feeds your spirit. Yes. Yeah, and there's so many people that found creative outlets one way or another um, during this past year that, that didn't have them before. Um, you know, whether it be painting or, um, you know, finding art classes online or dance classes or whatever. Yeah, we need that um, creative outlet. We all do whatever that outlet is for us um, to feed our spirit. Yeah, just everybody needs that, I think, to have that good balance in your life. Well, I'm so glad that you took the time to talk with me, Mary, because it's, I think, the generous, important work that you're doing um, I wish everybody could do that much, but I know that quilting communities, um, we do that. We, we're generous people. So quilters are generous people and the community in general um, wants to help others out. Oh, thank you so much. I feel very honored that you ask. And, um, you know, I think I always say it is not me. It is all of them. I exactly. Just it's, your, it's your group <laughs> around you for sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're just the point person, right? <laughs> I am, and I forgot to say the donation sale. All that money goes to our Celine Social Services for children. You started out as for shoes for children at school because you feel good if you've gotten oh, yeah. shoes for school. Yes, new but, shoes for the ball. Yeah, and now it's become, they get so much more money. So a deal it is for the children's needs or if they want to participate in something at school, which it costs money, which a lot of stuff does now, then it's there for them because growing children is what we need to do. Yeah, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Well, I want to thank you again for chatting with me today. I know that you told me the first time that we talked that your customers um, refer to the quilting season as a front for the service that you do. Your quilt shop is a front for the charity work that you do. And I completely understand why they say that about your shop. Um, all of us here at American Patchwork and Quilting wish you the best and wish you and your staff great success this year. Thank you so very much. It's been delightful.
Wow. Thanks so much, Doris and Mary. Such inspiring charity programs coming from her quilt shop and their amazing customers. And maybe it'll even inspire some of our listeners to establish similar programs with their guilds, their sewing friends, or even their own local quilt shops. If you want to connect with the quilting season more, we'll link to their website and social media. Local quilt shops are continuing to need extra support right now, so it's always an amazing reminder to help with your dollar if you can, or even your likes, shares, comments, and reviews of their stores online so that they can continue to help their communities. Thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate our listeners so much, and we can't wait to chat with you again next week. Hi, all, and thanks for listening. Keep in touch. American Patchwork and Quilting is on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at allpeoplequilt. Email us at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Resources for this week can be found at allpeoplequilt.com slash podcast. And if you love the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app for free. And don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps other quilters find us. Have a creative week. <laughs>